This is David Casillo, and welcome to the Scoring at Home podcast. On today's episode, we'll take a look around the NFL and discuss all the big issues within that sport. I'll be joined by DJ BNMA of the New York Daily News, as well as Dr. Gail Brisbane of Cal State Fullerton. We'll discuss NFL hiring practices, the performance of Commissioner Goodell, and the future of the league. Thanks for joining, and let's get started. I got two great guests here today, DJ Bien Ame. He's the Jets reporter for the New York Daily News. And Dr. Gail Brisbane he is an assistant professor at Cal State Fullerton. And she was previously a broadcast sports journalist covering the NFL. DJ and Gail, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to be, you know, in this space with, with Gail. Well, I'm glad to have both of you. And I'm going to start with Gail. Gail, I, we're going to cover a lot of issues in the NFL, and but I want to start at the top, and I want to talk about Commissioner Goodell. Obviously, for a long time, he was receiving a lot of heat as the commissioner of the NFL. Uh, he's made a lot of effort to kind of be more player accessible, go to player interest. What do you think the overall opinion of him right now is? Do you think he's improving his image or no? I think he is in a way. Um, he really had to. I mean, he works for the owners of the team, and that is who really um, he has to report to and who pays his bills. But he really needs to make sure that he is seen as being player friendly and because they are his employer's employees, if you look at it that way. And so I think in the past, he has been uh, rigid and he's realized that he has to change with the times. Um, unfortunately, it took him a while to get to that point when it comes to um, just the, you know, the social justice and the racial stuff that's been going on in our society. And he's finally being more open to um, the players' wishes because, you know, there, there are a lot of players that um, this involves their everyday life, not just their profession, but how they live and who, you know, their, their friends, their family. And so, you know, it's unfortunate that it kind of took a sacrificial lamb and Colin Kaepernick to get to that place. Um, it's unfortunate that he um, basically, you know, lost out on being able to fulfill his career. But it really, you know, it was a process. And I think he is doing more. I think there's a lot more that should be done and could be done. Um, but I think he is slowly repairing some of that tainted image that he has been uh, developing as far as just being a stickler and just being very conservative and, uh, you know, siding um, on one side and not being open to the discussion. DJ, one of the issues that Goodell had to deal with this year was the John Gruden fiasco, eventually him no longer being the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. In terms of that, as well as the private emails, do you think we're done there? Or do you think there'll be more that comes out of that? I for sure believe there's more. I mean, we're, we're talking about all the amount of emails that were sent, and it's just John Gruden that had um, inappropriate things that were said. I, I don't think it, it stops there. Um, there's for sure a plethora of more. Um, now, from who, you know, we'll, we'll see there. Um, but I think, you know, we should continue to dig on that and continue to weed out the bigots within the NFL because these are people that are preventing others from, you know, elevating. You know, when you have owners – that think the way that they think that it's a trickle down effect when it goes all the way down to players, 
goes down to coaches, impeding coaches, like diversity hires, things of that nature. When you have people with those type of ideologies, you know, because some of the things that John Gruden was saying, um, that's probably widely accepted, um, just that ideology amongst other owners, which, you know, continues to create, um, I guess, you know, uh, not boundaries, but um, gatekeeps and prevents people that don't sound or don't look like um, the people that John Gruden is comfortable talking to um, it prevents those people that don't, you know, share those same ideologies from being able to get into positions of power. Oh, that's a really good point. Gail, you mentioned it a little, and it's kind of d- connected to what I was just talking about with DJ, but activism, athlete activism, protest, it was a big part, big focus really in the 2020 season when we were sort of in the midst of the pandemic. I feel like in the last season, it was a little more accepted and there wasn't as much controversy. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, you still have the hardcore people uh, that are like, I'm done with the NFL and, you know, like, oh, the numbers are down, which, you know, I I mean, I think that they're just grasping at straws to to still try to protest the fact that anyone is uh, aware of the racial and social injustice going on with the world. But I think that uh, for your, for most of the fans, you know, they're, they're fans of a team that's not going to change. And they've, you know, realized that no, no longer are players just going to sit back and cash their paychecks and have that be their extent of being a part of the world. You know, so many more players in the NBA um, and the NFL, uh, you know, the other sports don't do it quite as much and stuff, but they realize they have a platform that they are not going to stay silent, you know, just the LeBron James and, and, and other people like that. And so I think people are being more accepting of it, realizing that, you know, hey, I'm not going to just shut up and dribble, you know, if you guys, especially these conservative show hosts that, you know, try to say, don't talk about just play sports, um, you know, I think people are realizing that their argument is, is uh, a bad argument for these guys not using their platform in a positive way. So I think your general fans are, are more accepting of it. And maybe they did some more research and realized, you know, just like Colin Kaepernick kneeling, you know, that was the result of a, an army veteran that suggested that's not disrespecting the flag. That's just making a stand for something. And so I think as people got more educated in actually what they were protesting or what they were trying to bring to light, um, they started realizing that what they thought they were protesting was not really uh, accurate. And they got more in depth with um, what the issues were at hand. DJ, one of the issues that you're hearing a lot of players speak out on in the last week is the hiring practices of the NFL, especially once Brian Flores was let go by the Miami Dolphins. What can be done to improve that area? I think the biggest issue, um, because, you know, owners really, they care about being able to put seats, I mean, put put people in the seats and, you know, have a good show. And how can you really have that is having explosive offenses for the most part. And the hiring practices, you know, they're obviously problematic. But I think the biggest issue is the lack of black coaches in um, offensive, like offensive positions that directly impact the quarterback, like offensive coordinators and quarterback uh, and quarterback coach. There, I think there's only there was only one black quarterback coach, maybe one or two. The one I know for a fact is Pep Hamilton for the um, Houston Texans. And I mean, you saw Davis Mills. He had a 
he had arguably the second best um, best rookie season out of all the quarterbacks of the 2021 class. And he worked with Justin Herbert and he worked with Andrew Luck. He has a very long track record of um, working with really, really good, you know, working with quarterbacks and helping develop them. But he struggles to get you um, offensive coordinator jobs or even, you know, potential head coaching jobs. When we've seen the guys like uh, Zach Taylor, who was a quarterback coach um, for the Rams and became the head coach for uh, the Bengals, you know, but I think a lot of it comes back down to just not enough um, black coaches in offensive, you know, offensive coaching roles with OC or, cause you know, they usually get trapped into like the running back or the wide receiver room, um, position, which those spots, spots do impact the quarterback to an extent, but people, you know, GMs and owners, they want to hire people for the most part that are OCs, DCs, or, you know, quarterback coaches. And for the most part, Black coaches have been barred from being able to be offensive coordinators, even when they do get those spots, whether it's Eric Bieniemy, like he hasn't been able to net a head coaching job. Same with um, I mean, Brian Leftwich, he's getting he's getting some buzz, but some people, they attach it to, oh, well, you know, he's coaching Tom Brady. What is he really doing? You know, so um, I think that's where there needs to be more diversity in that section. But then when that diversity does get there, you don't try to um, negate the accomplishments that they've made based off of just the talent of the coaching, because believe it or not, like a lot of this stuff comes down to talent and you need talented players to be able to make things work. So I think a lot of the issues stem from the lack of diversity amongst offensive in the offensive department, whether it's quarterback or offensive coordinator. Do you, do you feel like black coaches get less time to prove themselves than white coaches? Do you think that there's a shorter leash as far as, um, you know, time's up, we gave you a try? Yeah, I, 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 David Cudley, he, he experienced that. He was given a terrible situation and was let go after one year that obviously that wasn't fair. Um, Brian Flores for me falls into a different category because um, there was the reporting that came out, came down to, he was difficult to work with and, his offenses weren't good. And when you look at some of the facts, it comes down to he fired three, like he had three different offensive coordinators in three years and he fired four. He had four offensive court. I mean, four offensive line coaches in three years. So like the lack of continuity and him just being kind of difficult to work with. Apparently some reports came out from some reporters in the Miami area that he didn't even talk to some of his, uh, you know, his coaches on the coaching staff, during the winning streak that he was barely communicating with them. And he had some issues with Chris Greer, who's also a black, you know, uh, general manager. So I feel like, so to answer your question, yes. But I think with Brian Flores, he's kind of like the anomaly. Most times, yes, I agree that you have to kind of hit the ground running. But um, with Brian Flores, it was kind of, there was some dysfunction within the continuity within the organization. But other coaches like David Cudley, that, that's a prime example. Or Vance Joseph, with the Broncos, he, I mean, he was there for two seasons and he didn't have a quarterback. Um, a lot of this comes down. You don't have a quarterback, you have no chance. So usually, and then you can go back to the Arizona Cardinals back in 2018 with uh with Steve. Um, and, you know, his quarterback was Josh Rosen. Now, before I've seen Josh Rosen isn't a good quarterback, but he was let go after one year. Because um, he could have basically, you know, you could have let Josh Rosen go and then draft Kyler Murray. And then I, I believe Steve would have been able to have some success with Kyle Murray, same, just the same amount as Cliff Kingsbury's had. So I agree with you that they do get less time. Um, so I agree there. Yeah, I think also the, one of those 
past examples, Jim Caldwell in Detroit. He had a winning exactly. record and uh, he had a tracker. I mean, he'd been with the Colts too. And I mean, Detroit can never win. So when you get a winning record in Detroit, you, you know, they should be throwing a parade for that. Let's go back to Gail here for a second. If we're talking about the season in general, this is the first time we did a week 18. We had the extra week. Do you think it's necessary now that we've done it? Do you like it? Love it? What do you think the extra week added, if anything, beyond dollars? I think that I think that it added dollars. I know when I was covering the Arizona Cardinals, I covered them for 16 years. And there was discussion of that back um, many years ago. They've, the NFL has been trying to get 18 games for a long time. And the players have pushed back on it. Every player that I talked to, um, I, I remember Larry Fitzgerald, you know, just saying, that's just too much. It's just too hard on the body to be able to recover. And, you know, there's been all these documentaries and all this uh, reporting of these players that are maimed and, you know, kill themselves because of CTE and they give their life up for football. So to add a couple of additional hard fought games, cause you know, you're taking away the preseason games, but the preseason games, you know, they, the, the starters don't play very much except for maybe the first and second game. And then they kind of peter them out and try to, you know, save them, but to have so many games that count um, where the star players are expected to be playing a majority of the time is I think um, in the long term is a detriment to the players. So I think it is all about money. I don't know if fans are, you know, having one or two extra games, it really makes that much of a different fan experience. So I do feel it's all about money. And I feel like the players, uh, because of the new TV contracts and, you know, Amazon getting in on the mix and all of a sudden the dollars going up, they kind of did it for the money too. But I think in the long run for the players, it's, um, it's detrimental for him. It's, it's, it's more of a money thing. I don't really see it being anything, but. DJ, when you look at the stars of the league, it's always obviously been the quarterback. And for years, it was Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers. Now, two of those guys have since retired. Brady and Rodgers are getting up there in age. Do you think in this postseason, the NFL needs to run from a guy like Joe Burrow or Josh Allen to kind of take that next step to get at that next level like a Mahomes has to be that new era of marketing for the NFL? I think um, one thing the NFL does a really good job of is um, marketing their quarterbacks, no, no matter what, you know. So uh, I don't really think I think Joe Burrow has kind of done enough to be marketed. I mean, he's he's a national champion coming out. He was the number one pick, won Heisman, and now you know second year won AFC North. So I think the the marketing, you know, Joe Cool things of that nature. So I feel that Joe Joe Burrow is is actually good in that category. Josh Allen. Um, I mean, he, he's made a run. He made a run last year, so I don't really think he needs more from a, from a marketing standpoint. Um, I mean, just if he just continues to win, he'll he'll be fine. I think where the NFL is right now, there's so many good quarterbacks that you can really attach yourself. The NFL can attach themselves to it. I think the Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes that could end up being like the next Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning, or like Patrick Mahomes versus you know Lamar Jackson. I think they they have options. Before it was just basically. Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning in the AFC. I think now with the amount of good quarterbacks that there's a plethora of options that they can really attach themselves to as that, that quote unquote rivalry um, and just marketing. Like the NFL really doesn't have to do much anymore with the, 
with the development of social media, whether it's TikTok or you know Instagram or Twitter, you can really build your own platform and build your own marketing team slash brand um, just based off of just, just your social media. So I don't really think that they have to make any type of run. Uh, I think what they've done is, is, is good enough. If they really want to increase their marketing, they can do it with their own, just through their phone. Yeah, it's interesting because for years, as you talked about it, it was Brady Manning in the AFC. And now that Brady's out of there, you have all those young QBs. And in the NFC, though, it's still Brady Rogers. So it's almost like the, the leagues have flipped. Uh, you have that more of that opportunity for those young guys to kind of take the stage. Gail, yeah. I want to talk a little about health and safety for a second. Everyone was talking about COVID, but for the NFL, the, the issue uh, extends beyond COVID. Obviously, head injuries, concussions. Do you think the NFL is still doing enough there? I know that they've made an effort in the last decade, but do you think there's still more to go? You know, I'm not um, a medical doctor, so I'm sure that there is a lot more that that could be done to ensure their safety. But the whole adage is, you know, the safer you make the helmets, the more they feel emboldened to tackle harder. And, you know, maybe even though it's an illegal tackle to use, you know, get their helmet involved. Um, You know, you don't want to have the league be something where you can't touch anyone because that would not be, you know, I mean, they sometimes, you know, they talk about, oh, you can't even touch the quarterback at all anymore. And, you know, they've made it taken away from the enjoyment of the game. But, um, you know, it's hard because I, I, when I was covering the Cardinals, uh, there was a player named Sean Morey, who was a special team specialist, and he was actually the team representative for the Players Association um, team representative. And I did a story with him and talked about all the concussions that he had had. And this was, gosh, this was probably 12 years ago, 13 years ago. So it, it was, you know, when it was really starting to become, you know, a topic. And um, he was fighting for, players to, you know, be more upfront about their injury and to, you know, um, you know, just, just deal with the, the, the potential of concussions. And then, you know, it just broke my heart because he left the Cardinals and then he should have retired because he had had so many concussions and he went and signed with the Seahawks and continued to, to batter his brain. And so it's like, you know, now that players are aware of the dangers, you know, you look back into the, you know, the, the golden ears of the NFL and those players didn't have it really any idea what long-term effects that would have on them. And now they do. And so then there's a kind of like, you know, is it, I, I see how the players feel like if they, if they say they're injured, they might, you know, they're fighting for a contract or fighting to stay on the team. They might lose their, their job. And so there's, it's, it's really hard because it's not like, you know, you just put some more rules in the game and then all of a sudden it's safer. There's got to be a way that players can really be honest about what they're dealing with physically without, the, you know, fearing losing their job. Because with the NFL, I mean, you have so many guys on the roster and there's just so many, you know, okay, you're injured, rotate the next guy in and you spit them out kind of thing. And so, you know, if there was some way, and I don't even know what 
way it could be, but to just have a little bit more um, security, not just for the superstars, but for, you know, those special teams guys and um, the third down guys that go in there and really put their body on the line. So I think that there's different ways that they could make it um, a little bit easier for players to admit their injuries because they, you know, they're trying to keep earning money and stay in the league and stuff. So I think there's more stuff that could be done on that end. I don't know as far as, you know, changing the rules or getting better, you know, equipment and stuff. Um, I'm not sure if that would help or if that's possible. Uh, but I think it's a conversation that continues to need to be uh, talked about um, because, I mean, sometimes I watch, I know it's kind of a long answer, but, you know, I watched football on the sidelines a lot and you, you see how big those guys are and you hear the crunches and you see these guys getting carried off the field with their limbs going every which way. And there were times that I felt kind of guilty, like this, this is a gladiator sport and I'm you know I'm responsible for promoting it so there I had mixed emotions about it sometimes you know and so everyone loves so many people love the game uh the way it is players fans and everyone else but sometimes I actually felt a little guilty because it is such a brutally um rough sport and these guys really you know they sacrifice a lot yeah, I'm sure that's a, a feeling a lot of reporters have, especially when someone gets hurt that you may have developed a relationship with over time. DJ, when we talk about health, as I alluded to earlier, obviously the big talking point throughout the entire season was COVID. How do you think the league navigated that? Do you think they did a good job? And as someone who was in the locker room or around players a lot during the season, what was sort of the feedback that you were getting from players about all the the restrictions and everything in place? Well, I mean, we weren't we weren't allowed to go in the locker room um this year and they weren't allowed to last year so I can't really answer like the the feedback and that's but I think they've done how do I, I think they've done because it's a very difficult situation there's not a one answer you know one shoe fits all um when it, when it comes to dealing with COVID with professional football teams but I think they've done a solid job obviously they think they can do better like I didn't really agree with the notion of well we're going to just stop testing because that, that basically just comes down to, okay, we want to make sure we have the star players so we can, you know, continue to put, put a good product on the game and we don't have to continue to rearrange uh, scheduling and things of that nature. Like when they did with the Cleveland Browns and I think Raiders, yeah, when they, when they I think that game came, went on during the week. But it just, you know, they did, the, I think, the best that they could considering the circumstances. Because, you know, this information is always evolving when it comes to COVID and um whether they're vaccinated, unvaccinated. I think they did a good job with the, the vaccination, unvaccination rules. I, I do, I will give them credit because that kind of gave them like, a, you know, players an incentive to go get vaccinated. I feel like, you know, most people, 99% of people should be vaccinated for the most part um, to help mitigate everything. But overall, I think that the NFL did as good as, a, you know, did as, you know, solid job in terms of keeping the season moving. But, you know, then when we, you know, you had the rash of, outbreaks you know during the season where at a certain point you were getting remember Ian Book started the game on Monday night um against the Dolphins where because you know I think Jameis is hurt and then the two backup quarterbacks have COVID um you know they had like 20 other players on the COVID list um I was covering the Jets and the Jets had a COVID outbreak where Robert Sala wasn't coaching you know ha- half of the receiving well some players on the receiving core were out players on the like they, they just lost very important players 
but they still kept the game going. So that's one thing where I'll get some criticism because that was just clearly like, we're going to keep the show going no matter what, regardless of the product, because we got to get this money. And I think a lot of the COVID rules, why, which why I only give it solid, a lot of the COVID, um, the handling of COVID came down to how can we get this money? So just to follow up on something you mentioned earlier, as a young reporter developing themselves on the beat, how difficult is it for you not to have that direct access with players? It's, 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 it's tough. I mean, Gail can tell you, like, the personal relationship that you can build with players and coaches and things of that nature, that's what separates you from being an average beat reporter or, you know, your average beat reporter to a good to great, where if something breaks or says there's something going on in the locker room, you were able to build the relationships, have people confide in you and trust you with information to help properly, accurately um report on the situation everything comes down to reporting accurately regardless and keeping everything fair um so without that locker room access that that's been very difficult in that aspect but you know as a reporter you have to learn how to navigate and adapt to the times regardless of the circumstances you got to make it work um so I, I was still able to build some decent relationships with some with some coaches on staff and some a couple of players but not having the locker room access, it does really impede the amount of, um, you know, relationships that you can build. All this comes down to relationships. Yeah, I can only imagine. It's got to be just you keep you can't get the same feeling with players through Zoom and everything. So that's got to be very very difficult. Couple more questions to get you out of here as we're kind of reaching the half hour mark here. Gail, I want to talk a little about the future of the league as we move forward. There's just like there's been expansion of the season and the playoffs. There's been more talk of expansion of teams. I don't know where you're going to put them all, maybe internationally. Do you think this happens? And if so, do you think it's successful? You know, I think that's going to be, you know, something that we just have to see. I know, like we talked about before, it's all about money. It's all about expanding, but uh, just how, you know, baseball wasn't super successful and uh, in Canada, you know, and um, basketball. And so I think trying to put it into London, you know, if they have a team in London and Mexico City is just going to cause a lot of problems. I think, you know, players are not going to want to do those long travel. I mean, going from, I don't know, do you just have teams from the East Coast playing mainly in London, uh, you know, requiring someone from the west coast to fly to london during the regular season i mean it's one thing to have a preseason game where you can kind of go and be there for a little while and then come back and you know um not have like you know a game then maybe you do it right before a bye week or something i don't know i know the players won't enjoy that x you know that added um travel plus i mean in you know, we're dealing with COVID now, but there's also things that could be happening in the future. And then you've got the international type of differences in their health regulations and coming into a country and countries shutting down. And I would think that this pandemic would maybe make them think twice about going to um, another country, especially, you know, going to London and Europe, where they're probably going to continue to have pretty high health measures going forward. Maybe Mexico City, it'd be easier to to zip down there and stuff. But I think that the NFL will keep trying to push for it. Um, Whether it's successful or not, I mean, I don't think anyone would really know. Um, I think that 
just by putting one team in a, another country is not going to necessarily, you know, boost the NFL image any more than it already has throughout the world. I think the people that are into the NFL are into the NFL and, you know, maybe having a team in Mexico city, you would add some fans in Mexico, but it's not going to really do much for the rest of the world. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that they'll keep pushing for it and it might be one of those things that they try to do. I think they'd better be better served to expand to um, a city, a big city that uh, really could use a, an NFL team and that would have, uh, you know, be benefit. I mean, I think, you know, looking at the names, I actually kind of looked through some of the different places they've talked about and stuff. I mean, St. Louis, um, I think they you know, would be good to have another team. Um, San Diego, I don't know, because you've already got the two teams in Southern California. Um, a lot of these other towns, you know, it remains to be seen whether they can really uh, sustain um, a big team. But you have teams like in Kansas City where it's a smaller town and it's been been successful and stuff. But I would rather see them stay in, um, in the United States. And they've got such a nice number right now with 32 teams eight divisions you know you throw in a couple more teams and it kind of messes that all up yeah and where are you going to find it's hard enough finding 32 quarterbacks and 32 kickers (laughs) good point I was going to say when I was thinking about that I was going you saturate you saturate the whole um, market and you have to bring in more mediocre players just to fill rosters and you just it's it makes it brings down the level of play I think for sure. DJ, we're going to wrap things up with you here. In terms of the future of the league, I think TV is a really important area. You're seeing a lot of changes. You're seeing games on Amazon. You're seeing broadcasts on Twitter. Do you think, kind of two things I want to focus on here. One, do you think we're ever in a streaming only environment where you don't have your Fox, your CBS? And the other thing is, are we going to get rid of the Sunday ticket system at, every, at any point and make that a little more accessible? DJ, you're still muted. I, I, I think Fox and CBS, they're, they're not, we'll, we'll never live in a, a situation where they're not a part of the, they're not at the table, you know? Um, but just the, the amount of streaming, just the NFL being as accessible as it's been, um, I mean, I think it's only going to increase. Um, I mean, I was, I mean, I don't have cable, but I was able to watch, I'm able to watch whatever I need to, whether it's through YouTube TV, Hulu Sports, whatever it is. Um, and even, you know, Amazon now that they've, they've gotten, they've been able to, you know, put their foot in the door in that aspect. So, uh, I mean, I don't ever see a scenario where CBS and Fox get pushed out and, and, and Sunday ticket to become more accessible. That I don't know that, that I'm not, that I'm not too sure because I, you know, it's, it's in such high demand that like people are going to pay the amount to, to, to go and get it. You know, people that, don't want to pay them out they just won't have it but there's other ways to be able to still keep up with the sport on Sundays or Mondays or Thursdays um without it so um yeah I, I think it I don't really see vision anything changing in that aspect and I, I for sure don't envision Fox or CBS there's ever a day where the NFL is not partnered with those two Gail I, I just want to get your take on here especially that idea of like say I live down in the Atlanta area and I can almost never watch the Giants, which are my favorite team. So do you think we ever in a system where that becomes more accessible to the viewer? I would hope so. I mean, streaming has opened up so much. And so 
um, you know, I would hope that the people that move away from their hometown team can, you know, not just catch little glimpses or highlights of it. And so without paying all that money for, you know, the NFL ticket and stuff. So I think that's where streaming is going. I mean, it's still going to cost, um, viewers some money to be able to have that as an option. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think streaming is exciting at Cal state Fullerton here. We're, you know, we're, we're a small, not a small college, but we're not a well-known sports college. Um, yet we have a contract with ESPN plus now to stream, uh, all of their sports. And so here's, you know, not, you know, the Titan sports community is not this rah-rah. We don't have a football team. We've had a baseball team that's won a few national titles and stuff, but streaming is allowing for those small number of fans that want to watch Titan sports to be able to watch it. And so I think streaming is is going to be huge for sports in general and for people to really follow their local team wherever they are. Well, that concludes a really interesting conversation about the league. I hope everyone enjoyed it and stay tuned with us next month as we'll be coming back with another episode of the Scoring at Home podcast. (laughs) 